Buddham Dhammang Sanghang Namasam There was an occasion at Wat Baopong, which is Ajahn Chah's main monastery. This is many years ago now, and when Ajahn Chah was still with us, and a young Western monk there at the time, he approached Ajahn Chah and asked him, he said, I noticed that you regularly scold the Thai monks and you never scold me. And I guess this fellow was feeling a little left out because he wasn't being scolded by Ajahn Chah. And, and Ajahn Chah's reply was, well, it's obvious that you're scolding yourself all the time. I certainly don't need to be adding to it. It's true that sometimes our teachers point out our faults and we all have things we need to be learning and, and if our teachers are making the effort out of kindness and skillfulness then that's to be appreciated then. There's a verse in the Dhammapada verse 76 which says only blessings can arise from seeking the company of wise and discerning persons who skillfully offer both admonition and advice as if guiding us to hidden treasure. Mm. The operative phrase being there, the, the, as if guiding us to hidden treasure. Uh, only blessings can arise from seeking the company of wise and discerning persons who skillfully offer both admonition and advice as if leading us to hidden treasure. Of course, if the teacher is heedlessly, unskillfully offloading their, their own unmet dukkha, then they're not a very well-developed teacher and probably better not to spend too much time in their company. However, if we do find a, a teacher who is willing to offer admonition, and advice, then the smart thing to do is to learn how to appreciate that. If it's the case, as it often is for Westerners, that we are already trying too hard, then it's perhaps more likely that the teacher is going to be telling us to take it easy. In this case, with this young fellow, Ajahn Chah wasn't scolding him because he realized it wasn't needed and probably encouraged him to you know, be more gentle. What you need to do is be more gentle, be more kind, soften in your approach to practice. It depends on whether our approach to practice is overly assertive or overly yielding. Mm -hmm. 
depends on character types, depends on culture, and if we are overly assertive, well then uh, a wise, skillful teacher is not going to be encouraging us to be trying harder, quite the opposite. However, if we are overly yielding already in our character, then yeah, maybe the teacher needs to tell us to shape up a little bit. And The important point is that the advice that's being given, is it leading us to increased balance? There's no doubt about it that this training does involve difficulties. Well, we've just been sitting for a period of meditation and it's quite likely that sometime during that last half hour the impulse arose, you know, I'd like to move. Or maybe it was even, I don't want to be here. However, we made the decision to be here and, and we have faith in the possibility of seeing something new, seeing more deeply, seeing more clearly and just following the impulse to always move every time that's what we feel like doing. We're willing to consider, well, that's, that doesn't help. And so we inhibit that impulse. And, and so this part of me really wants to move and, and part of me says, no, I'm not going to. So that means I'm not going to get what I want. It means we're going to feel somewhat frustrated. Or, and likewise, in other areas of the training and, and our everyday interaction with each other and you see somebody behaving in a way that you don't particularly like and you have the impulse to really tell them about it or, or maybe a subject of conversation is struck up and you think you know more about it than the other person so you really just busting to show off how intelligent and well informed you are from the perspective of practice no just just inhibit that you don't always have to be following that impulse to tell somebody what you think of them or to share how amazing you are. It, uh, it's what we refer to as conscious composure or skillful restraint is an important skill in this training. However, it doesn't accord with my way. My way is just to let rip, just to say what I want. And so... It is going to, this training is going to inevitably involve feeling frustrated. So what matters is can we feel that feeling of frustration without it triggering our resistance, you know, without becoming more constricted. Um, our habits of clinging are already strong enough. So if we undertake this, these spiritual exercises, the last thing we want is to become more constricted to develop more habits of clinging. So how we meet this feeling of frustration, whether it's a result of uh, our teacher having pointed something out to us or whether it's as a result of our sitting in meditation or, or something that's happening in everyday life and we feel frustrated. How can we feel frustrated in a functional way? There's functional frustration and dysfunctional frustration. Functional frustration makes us stronger takes us deeper. Dysfunctional frustration makes us weaker. We end up getting exhausted, and going out of balance. What determines whether it's functional or dysfunctional frustration? That's a really important question. The path of practice, this training, does involve 
feeling frustrated. Maybe you're aware of that situation where somebody asks Ajahn Chah, what's your meditation technique, Ajahn Chah? Do you teach samatha or do you teach vipassana or whatever else? And Ajahn Chah's reply was, my technique is frustration. Well, the, the Thai word he actually used was toraman, which some people translate as torture. I don't think that does justice to what Ajahn Chah was pointing to. He didn't torture his disciples. However, he was very skilled at frustrating people. Skillfully, kindly pointing out where we are caught up in something, where we're missing the point, where we're creating problems out of life. Life is no problem. Life can be difficult. Life can be painful. Again, we all know that the, the Buddha had to handle lots of difficulties. The Buddha even had to handle pain. However, the Buddha didn't have to handle problems. He didn't have to handle suffering. The Buddha didn't have any suffering, didn't have any problems. Why not? Because the Buddha didn't have any clinging. As we would all know, the process of transforming greed, hatred and delusion into something suitable takes energy doesn't just happen because we read a book or we have some clever ideas and this process of transformation can be very hard work how do we engage this work how do we meet this how do we meet ourselves when we're engaged in this kind of energy uh, are we applying ourselves in a way that means we get stronger or do we get more fragmented and this is again the, the theme of frustration of how do we hold experience and we've spoken about this not really in the past of learning the right way of holding and given the example of uh, for instance holding the steering wheel if you're driving a car and you hold it too tight and your shoulders are up around your ears and you're a bad driver you hold it too loosely just like with one little finger well that's no absolutely not okay there's a right way of holding you may not be able to tell from the outside however it makes a big difference or if you're in the kitchen, chopping vegetables, chopping onions with a really sharp knife, how do you hold the knife? If you hold it too loosely, it could <laughs> fall out of your hand and you know, stick your foot or something. Hold the knife too tightly, that's not it either. So how do we hold it? in the right way or if you're throwing a pot on a potter's wheel and you're holding that that lump of mud that clay how do you learn to hold it and equal pressure on both hands and you're working your foot at the pedal at the same time how do you how do you hold that so that it's balanced and and instead of ending up with a mess you can perhaps make a, a beautiful pot
Well, we know in these practical examples um, that there is a right way of holding. Well, so there is with holding experience or in meditation, holding the meditation object. We hold it too tightly. We're trying too hard. You know, we can feel justified. I'm trying hard at my meditation. You know, well, you might be trying hard, but you're giving yourself a headache. And uh, Or if you, oh, well, I've got to be relaxed in my meditation and your mind's all over the place and you fall asleep and... That's not it either. Well, that's understandable in the beginning. If we're overly idealistic and overly assertive and driven, then we can be very critical of ourselves if we don't get it right straight away. You don't learn to play a musical instrument straight away. You don't learn to drive a car straight away. So why would we expect ourselves to learn the discipline of attention straight away? And likewise with all experience, holding in a way whereby we end up being able to feel what we feel without getting lost in it. Can we hold the feeling of disappointment and let it teach us? Or do we get lost in judging ourselves? I shouldn't feel disappointed. I've been meditating for six, six months now. I, sh I shouldn't be getting disappointed anymore. I shouldn't be feeling confident and the unreasonable expectations that we have of ourselves, and throw ourselves out of balance. So the right way of holding experience and particularly in this contemplation, the right way of holding frustration so that instead of it throwing us out of balance and hurting ourselves, how can we hold it so as we deepen and understanding and grow stronger, feel more confident. Mm. Partly, I would suggest, it's down to the views that we hold mm. and how we hold our views. Even the Buddha's views, you know, like the Four Noble Truths, if we hold the Buddha's views too tightly and mm -hmm. go on preaching to everybody about the Four Noble Truths and you meet somebody else from another Buddhist tradition and, and they're emphasizing compassion. You say, don't waste your time with compassion. You've got to be paying attention to suffering. Suffering is what you need to be dwelling on. That's what the Buddha taught. Four Noble Truths, there's no word about compassion in there. Suffering. I say, well, that doesn't sound very inspiring. Probably not going to be very helpful. Holding too tightly, even to the Buddha's views, the Buddha's teachings, is not right. It's not, that's not going to be helpful. Not holding at all to the Buddhist teachings, not receiving the Buddhist teachings, not having heard of the Four Noble Truths, well, that's really regrettable. It's, um, if we don't know that we are the agents of our own suffering, if we don't know that, well, we very easily fall into blaming, uh, blaming external causes. And whereas if, if we hear this teaching on the Four Noble Truths, there's a chance we'll... Uh, develop the other faculties like the steadiness of attention and, and mindfulness and, and patience and sensitivity and, and be, be able to start examining where, when and how we, we turn life into a problem. And when something disappointing or painful occurs, you know, like sadness or aversion arises, maybe there's a chance that we'll catch ourselves at just at the point where our 
awareness is about to collapse and we fall into clinging and constricting and obstructing awareness and remember that we don't have to do that. Maybe there's a chance that we actually take a deep breath, physically take a really deep breath and create the physical space to remind ourselves of the possibility of creating awareness space. This imposing the limitation on awareness is not an obligation. It's something that we feel we're obliged to do because we've been doing it for so long and most people around us are you know, chronically obstructing their awareness and going on about, I can't stand this anymore. What does that mean? I can't take this anymore. I can't stand this anymore. What does that really mean? What is this I that can't stand anymore? There was another I a few days ago that was feeling great, was having a great old time. So which is the real I? That one that was having a marvellous time, enjoying the summer and hanging out with friends and walking around the lake looking at the dragonflies and butterflies. Or this I that's now feeling intensely challenged and can't stand it anymore. Who is this I? Well, have we got the quality of awareness to be able to inquire into that? Or, or the I can't stand it anymore. What is this it that we're referring to? What is it really? I can't stand it anymore. Is it really life? Developing the qualities that support investigation takes time. Allowing ourselves to feel frustrated by our habits of avoiding life is part of this training. However, learning to have a mindful, conscious, sensitive, just right relationship with the feeling of frustration is tremendously important. Just because we don't like feeling frustrated doesn't mean to say frustration is wrong. It's just because we don't like the feeling of pressure doesn't mean to say pressure is wrong. Just because we don't like the feeling of tension doesn't mean to say that tension is wrong. These tendencies to judge the situations that we find ourselves in, it shouldn't be this way. Where did that story come from? That's a view, that's an opinion. So the kind of views that we hold, the kind of opinions that we hold, and the way we hold them, the kind of beliefs that we hold, and the way we hold them, determines whether we're able to meet experience in a way that's really helpful, and gives us strength, or in a way that is not helpful and exhausts us. The suggestion or the, the opinion or the view that meditation or Buddhism or spiritual practice is supposed to be making us peaceful, that's another view that we could well be looking at. Yeah. Feeling peaceful, it, it's okay. I mean, it's, uh, it's helpful feeling peaceful. And the real work, however, is being able to see where, when and how we make ourselves unpeaceful. What are the causes for confusion? Where do we lose balance? What are we doing? Where, when and how do we do what we do that throws ourselves out of balance? And 
I would suggest that instead of trying to become peaceful, that we be interested in being able to tolerate tension. It's partly why I wanted to consider this theme of frustration. Instead of feeling that there's something wrong with feeling frustrated or there's something wrong with feeling pressure, question that view that there's something wrong and consider the possibility that that we can also develop awareness, expand awareness, meet the feeling of frustration in a way whereby that pressure actually is not just tolerable, but it's the very thing that takes us deeper. As I was saying, the process of transforming greed, hatred and delusion into generosity, selfless kindness and wisdom, that takes energy, it takes pressure, it takes tension. So the views that we hold determine very much how we meet the frustrations of life. Everyday frustrations, not just frustrations that result from our teacher having pointed out our limitations or the feeling of not being able to move in meditation when we want to, but also having to live with people that we don't necessarily like don't necessarily respect. And sometimes we have to live with people that we, we don't respect at all and they're not trustworthy. Do we feel that we have to be surrounded by people that we like all the time? Mm. If our practice is predicated on being surrounded by agreeable circumstances, then we're probably not going to deepen. Since I've been telling stories of Ajahn Chah this evening, perhaps I could end with another story about the early days of Wat Nana Chat when Ajahn Sumato uh, started Wat Nana Chat and was overpaying a visit to Ajahn Chah and, and he was asking him, how's it going? Are things working out over there? And he was always interested and Ajahn Sumato was... was uh, waxing lyrical about how wonderful it is and saying everything's going great Lumpur and, and the, the monks are cooperative and everybody's harmonious and Ajahn Chah replies well that's not going to do you any good at all and so, yeah. so thank you very much this evening for your attention <laughs>